show me a man diligent in his work, he'll stand before kings. And I think you got to give people a vision. you got to let them touch and taste and see that the Lord is good. And when they do, they want it. They don't ever want to go back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this week we'll meet a man who hated to read as a child, but now has a passion in his heart for great Christian literature. You'll meet Mark Hamby of Lamplighter Theater and Publishing today. Thanks for tuning in. First Person is a weekly conversation with guests who have compelling transformational stories to tell of God at work in their life. We have a website that can not only give you additional information about today's guest, and in today's case, links to Lamplighter, but also an archive of past interviews. You can listen anytime at your convenience at firstpersoninterview.com. And you can interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, today's guest was one of those unlikely converts, someone who wanted nothing to do with God until one day. Mark Hamby has a dramatic story to tell of his own conversion, but he'll also talk about the ministry of enjoying and propagating great Christian literature. But we started the conversation with Mark's personal story. 1977, um, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in a very unusual way. I was working at a salt factory after I had been bartending a uh, young, uh, young lady, 22 years old, blue eyes, blonde hair, very beautiful, shared Christ with me at the bar. She didn't know Christ herself. She was my neighbor. Um, and uh, we started reading the Bible together. And uh, What was the purpose of her doing that then if she, she didn't know Christ herself? She was uh, living, uh, going to school in New Paltz. And, um, and that's like the hippie capital of the world. That's, that's where Woodstock took place out in that area. And so there's a lot of leftover hippies from the, from the sixties during that, that time period. And, and they, she was working as a waitress for this health food restaurant and the couple that owned the restaurant were Christians and they had Bible studies every Friday night. And she started to attend them and she was so impressed by their true character of Christ that she, that's all she could talk about. So she or she's home for the summer and, and I'm bartending and she just, that's all she could talk about is this, this couple that influenced her. So we started reading the Bible together. And, um, then after two o'clock in the morning, I go for my second job. I'm making Wayne, I'm making as much money as I've ever made in my life. I've got everything I want in life. I'm not seeking for God. I'm content. I'm happy. There's nothing in my life that I need at this, at this point. I go to work at the salt factory. I'm up in the fourth story. I'm overlooking all of the, these um, conveyor belts of, of salt coming. We're pumping it out of the ground, and it's going into these huge silos. My job that summer is to just watch, observe the, the salt going into the silos, making sure nothing gets plugged up. If something gets plugged up, I just press a red button, stop the conveyor, Press the green one, go. Pretty simple job. <laughs> Sounds like an exciting <laughs> occupation. <laughs> yeah. but, so, but I'm just summer help, and the, the guy, who, um, the man whose place I took, um, I never met him, but he had to have been a Christian because he's gone for the entire summer, and guess what he's got? He's got a radio 
wired up into the rafters, plugged in up there. I cannot get up there. You need like a 20-foot ladder to get there. And he's got the thing blasting on the Christian radio station. Is that right? Yep. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, July 1977, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, boy. And uh, it was as if, when I received Christ that night, I didn't pray. I didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I prayed something entirely different. I prayed that, first of all, God, you have every right to put me in hell, and I deserve it. Mm. And, and Lord, if, if you want me to be your child, um, I realize that you died for me. Now, if, I can, if you want me to be one of your children, then I give my life to you, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll be whoever you want me to be. Wayne, that night, I had a Pilgrim's Progress experience. Mm. The, the, the load of sin, I felt it leave my entire being. And for the first time in my life, I saw this. I was out on the rooftop at two o'clock in the morning, looking up into the sky. I saw the stars for the very first time in my life. I was 22 years old. And when the sun came up in the morning, I can't even describe it. It was as if, as if being born and seeing the sun for the first time in your life. He makes all things new. Oh, and then the trees, the next, that morning, I went out, the, the workers of the factory, they were watching me. I was over there touching the bark of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you give new meaning to being a new creation in Christ. Oh, and it's been that way ever since. I've never lost that. Huh. And so, um, so Lord saved me. And uh, next thing that happened was uh, I got fired from my bartending job because I was um, quoting scripture to everybody and putting gospel tracks under all the beer glasses. And then I, yeah, and I that, read, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then when I, I read in the book of Hoshea, it says, woe to him who gives his neighbor a drink. <laughs> and so I stopped serving liquor, and then I got fired. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then a year later, um, I would marry that blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and the Lord then put me in the ministry. And, uh, and God just uh, wanted to grow me up rather quickly, and uh, something, significantly, something significant happened to me during that time. Um, not only did he want to grow me up in a hurry— he wanted me to hurry and realize that I lacked the Christ-like character that it would take to serve him in ministry. And unless that developed, I wasn't going to make it. Well, what was that turning point? What Was it a dramatic moment again? What, yeah, what was it? unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, sometimes i gotta, I got to be whacked over to the head with these dramatic moments. That's <laughs> okay. Know? Whatever, still, whatever it takes, right? <laughs> and I'm still doing drama to this very day. Um, the, the senior pastor and his wife realized I wasn't firing on all eight cylinders, and so they decided to send me and my new bride down to Pensacola Christian, I say boot camp, but it was Pensacola Christian College. And so there I was, a baby Christian, coming out of the 60s, you know, <laughs> you know, here it is, the, you know, the late 70s now, and, you know, no character whatsoever in Pensacola. There, the motto was, rules are not meant to be broken. Up to that point in my life, my motto was, BTS, beat the system. Mm-hmm. I was a manipulator. Um, I could con anybody. It was my way all the time. If there was a way to get something done my way, I would find a way to do it, and I always had the last word. Sounds like the perfect storm was brewing. <laughs> was it ever? And uh, this 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 woman, um, professor, her name was Miss Roseanne Petermeyer. I was failing in her class, uh, Christian uh, World History One and World History Two in a Christian perspective. I went to her. I went to her. Um, 
um, her uh, office and went in there and said, hey, I'd like to do some credit to get uh, extra work to get my, my uh, grade up so that I can get a passing grade in the class. That's what I've always done. I didn't read a book through high school or through college, not one book, but I got a bachelor's degree. Um, graduated from high school, and I was smart, but I hated to read. Now, let's bookmark that, because we're going to come back to that okay. in a few minutes. You did not like to read. No, I despised it. And here's the reason. If you got a low level of comprehension, um, because you have a high level of fear and insecurity, if you have a low level of character, you can be sure that you're probably going to have a low level of, of comprehension, because fear and insecurity tend to uh, use all of your your cognitive ability because you're always trying to hide something, and so you you can't learn. You're locked, and um, and so as my character started to develop, my love for reading began to develop. But it hadn't at this point. So I, I looked at Miss Peter Meyer and uh, asked her if I could do some extra credit, and she looked at me and she said, "I think I'm looking at a young man who's never done his fair share of his work academically in his life." <laughs> and I thought, "Uh oh, this is not going to be pretty." You've been found out. And I looked at her and, oh, but not yet. At least I don't, I don't think she knows completely. I said, ma'am, I said, you got to know something. I'm a baby Christian. I wanted to tell her it would be better for a millstone to be hung about her neck than to hurt one of these little ones, but I didn't tell her that. <laughs> so I said, ma'am, I said, I'm a baby Christian. And I said, and all these other men, 70-some other men, they've been to Christ- raised in Christian homes, went to Christian schools, Christian colleges. I said, I have an unfair disadvantage here. I said, I just want to level the playing field out a little bit. I need some extra work. I- I'm willing to do extra work, Ms. Petermeyer, to prove to you that I'm willing to work extra hard. And she said, Mr. Hamby, has God called you here? I said, yes. She said, as faithful is he that calls you who will also do it if you do your part first. Hmm. I said, um... I said, ma'am, I'm willing to do my part. I said, but um, I really need some extra extra work to get my grade up well, here. You were persistent, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she said, uh, she said, Mr. Hamby, she said, I think that you lack the character to do what it takes to serve God in ministry. And that was it, Wayne. Mm. She stepped over the line, and I said, that's it. Those are fighting words. I said, you know, it's too bad you had to say that. I said, because this place reminds me more of communism than Christianity, oh. and I don't need you, and I don't need your school. Oh. So uh, she looked at me, pointed her finger right in my chest, and she said, and I, and I said, I said, furthermore, I said, I'm out of here. And she pointed her finger in my chest, and she said, young man, you leave here, and God's never going to use you in ministry. Boy. And I thought, who does she think she is? And, and I left. She walked me out, pointing her finger at me, and I, when my wife and I had a celebration dinner. We were glad to be out of there. Got in the car, all of our belongings, and we started driving from Florida to New York, I got about 60 miles up the road, and Wayne, I'm so theologically conservative, I'm almost dead. <laughs> but God, as if he took his hand inside my chest and stopped my heart from beating. Mm-hmm. It was, I knew that God stopped me in my tracks. My wife was crying. I asked her what was wrong. She said, you got to go back. I said, I know. Turned the car around, knocked on Miss Peter Meyer's door. She had this smile. She looked at me. She said, I thought you'd be back. <laughs> I said, what do I have to do to get a passing grade in this course? She said, I added up your grades. You've got to get 100 on the final exam. It's 200 questions, three-hour exam. It's counted twice. It's next Friday. She said, if you miss one question, you'll take this course again. Well, I said, that's impossible. She said, I never want to hear that word out of your mouth again. And I thought, well, what did I say? <laughs> it was the impossible word. And so she told me to write every prophet, priest, king, and date on three-by-five cards. And she said, even if I didn't sleep between now and next Friday, she said, that was fine. She said, I needed to work harder than I've ever worked before, and I did. And I came in for that test, and I knew I didn't get 100. And um, next day came in, she gave the test back, handed out the test, 
she had the test grade covered over so I couldn't see it. And she handed it to me and I went to pull it and she pulled it back. She lowered it, looked in my face and she said, faithful is he that calls you who will also do it. Opened up the exam. I got a hundred on the final oh. event. And uh, that day, had I left, I would not have attended the seminar that was in the next hour. And it was Charlie Tremendous Jones speaking in front of 3,000 people. And out of the crowd, he calls me out of the crowd in front of 3,000 people and asks me what great Christian literature, what biographies, who my mentors were, changing my life into the image of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that I could think of at that moment was the cat in the hat. I liked her hat. I, I couldn't think of a book. I'd never read a book. And uh, he, after embarrassing the living daylights out of me, when I got home from Florida to New York, there was a dozen books waiting for me from Charlie Tremendous Jones, Red D.L. Moody, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor. Those books came alive to me. I wanted to become like the, like the men and women that I was reading about. And since that day, 34 years later, I have never been the same. What a great story today. Mark Hamby joining us on First Person. We'll hear more of his story and about Lamplighter Guild coming up. While we have a moment, let me remind you about the First Person Audio Archive. Each and every interview that we've done here in the program is available to you online at firstpersoninterview.com. You can live stream the interviews from the website, or you can subscribe via iTunes and download the interviews to your MP3 player and take them with you. You'll have hours of meaningful content to listen to as you drive or even work out at the gym. Go to firstpersoninterview.com or iTunes and check out the audio archive. Talking with Mark Hamby on First Person Today. We've heard Mark's testimony up to this point, but boy, there's there's much more to his story. There's always much more to our story in life, mm. isn't there, Mark? Amen. It's, it's so good to to hear how God has moved in your life, but I know he wasn't finished with you when you went back to Miss Petermeyer there and uh, and uh, crawl back into class. But to bring us up to date, there was another turning point in your life, wasn't there? Well, as I started to love reading, as my character started to change, my comprehension started to soar, um, God started to bring books into my life. In fact, it's every turning point in my life, Wayne, has been as the result of a book. Hmm. Um, it, whether, in, whether in regard to my marriage as a parent, uh, I remember the books that changed me as a parent. You know, Families or Graces in Place, Education of a Child, but from the Wisdom of Fenelon, Raising Modern Day Night. Um, all of those books God was using to change my perspective, my understanding of His Word, and how to live life in truth so that I could be set free, and that the people around me that I loved the most, they could be set free. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until my perspective changed that I realized that I needed to be a servant. I always thought I needed to be a leader not realizing that true leaders are servants. That changed me as a dad and as a husband. And so here I was at the place where God finally had me. Now he can bring more things into my life to continue the story. See, he needed to change my character first before he can bring these other things into my life. And I think that's pretty, that's true for the most part, for most people, I think. I think God is just waiting to open the storehouse of heaven, you know, but they're just not ready yet. So, Someone sends me a book from uh, Germany It's called The Basket of Flowers. My daughter's in bed. I'm reading to her at bedtime. As I'm reading a story, all I can remember is dropping to my knees, and I could not utter words anymore. No more sound came out of my mouth because I was in such intense um, remorse over the lack of godliness that, that I so desperately needed and that the man whom I was reading about 
possessed and I wanted. Let me just give you an idea of what that that evening sounded like. So I'm reading to Jennifer, and I came to this chapter, and, and this is what this father, reading to his daughter out of the scriptures and out of the insights from the flowers of his garden, he says to her, Mary, see in these lilies, my child, the symbol of innocence. Its leaves are of whiteness, which outvies that of the richest satin and equals that of the driven snow. Happy is the daughter whose heart is also pure, for it's the pure in heart who shall see God. But the more pure the color, my child, the more difficult it is to preserve it in all its purity. The slightest taint can spoil the flower of the lily, and it must be touched even with the greatest precaution. At that moment, the guards burst into the garden, and they began to beat Mary unmercifully. The father tried to stop it, but he couldn't. You see, the day before, when Mary brought the roses to the queen, the queen had set her ring aside on the dresser. She went to get Mary a gift. When Mary left, the queen turned and her ring was missing, and no one was in the room at the time except for Mary. No one could have stolen the ring except for Mary, and the penalty for stealing from royalty is death. The judge questions her. She said she did not steal a ring. Her father questioned her, and she said, Father, you know that I wouldn't take an apple from someone's orchard without permission. The father looked at the daughter, looked at the judge, and said, I believe in her. She has the face of innocence. The judge said, if you do not get her to admit her guilt, then I will hang you before her eyes and then hang your daughter. The father looked at the judge, and he looked at his daughter. And Now, get a picture of this. I'm reading to my little girl, and the father looks at her, and he says, Mary... It is better to die for the truth than to live for a lie, for the worst pillow to sleep on is the pillow of a guilty conscience. Wayne, I didn't possess that kind of wisdom. I didn't, I didn't have that, and I wanted that. And that book, the, the wisdom on every page, this father was breathing out truth to his daughter, preparing her for life, and God started to change me as a dad through that book. And today we have 140 of those books. And uh, God continues to bring them into my life so that we can share them with others. And now we're putting them on radio drama and in um, 1,500 stations in 23 countries. All right. This is so exciting, Mark. You, you took a leap there, though. You took a leap from being there at your daughter's bedside and having the Spirit just sit on you the way that the Spirit can to now this ministry called Lamplighter. Tell us what how God has moved, what, what your vision is, and what you're doing with Lamplighter. Well, when... When I saw what those books did in my life, um, I, I knew at that moment I needed to share these truths with the world. These stories needed to be read by the world. And I remember going to Zondervan and Nelson and, and in the beginning and saying, hey, I've, I found these books you know, from Germany and from France and from England from the 16, 17, 1800s. I said, can you please put these in print? No one wanted to touch them. So we took a step in faith, and we printed, um, I'll never forget, we were, we were selling these books before I had ever printed one. And um, I will never forget this one person came up to me and said, you're expecting me to buy a book you haven't even put in print yet? <laughs> <laughs> that person saw me 15 years later and reminded me of that conversation, and she said, and you did deliver the book. <laughs> so uh, it's been for me a passion. You see, one of the things that's missing today is a love and passion for the Word of God. You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And what these books do is they, they get the Word of God back into people's lives in such a way that they're able to understand it through stories in a way that they wouldn't get just reading through the Bible for most people. Now, I think just reading through the Bible is fine, but if people aren't in the Word, this is a way to get people back into the Word, and it's doing it. I think people who read these stories. We get letters every single day, people telling us that for the first time in their lives, 
they are excited about turning the TV off and reading as families. That is so very challenging. It really is, Mark. And I wish we had more time. We're going to tell people at the end of the broadcast how they can find out more about Lamplighter. But you've got to talk to me about your vision to bring along another generation. You have the guild, the Lamplighter Guild. Tell me about that. Yeah, this is, to me, this is, I can die and go to heaven after this because <laughs> this is the ultimate for me. I've been thinking about this for literally 30 years, and last year we did it, bringing masters that are the best in their field from all over the world, masters in the dramatic arts, visual arts, horticulture, architecture, culinary, video, videography, photography, um, documentaries, whatever master we can find around the world, I thought if we can bring them to one site that exemplifies excellence, and so we chose what I believe is the nicest place in the world. I've been going there for 35 years. It's a 500-room castle overlooking five states in the Catskills. It's magnificent. When people were there last year, they felt that they had walked through the back of the old wardrobe and went into a new reality. Yeah. Well, I've seen photos. That it is incredible. It is. And uh, I've been, like I said, going there for 35 years, never come across a place that equals it. And, and I thought if we can bring students and masters together in that kind of environment and then let them rub shoulders with one another, let the, let the students of all ages, 16 to 70, let them see what does it take to become a John Campbell in digital music composition? What does it take to become a Todd Lestead in sound design? What does it take to become a John Fornoff and Kathy Buchanan in script writing? When they see the excellence, I believe they will have a Queen of Sheba experience because mm. of this. They will experience the presence of God. And when that happens, Psalm 1611 comes true. God will make known unto us the path of life in his presence his fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when students catch that vision, then Proverbs twenty two twenty nine becomes a reality. Show me a man diligent in his work, he'll stand before kings. I know it's coming up soon. Give us the details. July 15th through 20th, um, we're going to have the Lamplighter Guild. They can go to lamplighterguild.com. And this is, this is not just dramatic arts and visual arts, culinary, horticulture, videography, documentary, and photography. This is about learning from the masters, being inspired to set aside mediocrity and pursue passionately a high level of excellence so that we can represent the true image of God, partner in the divine nature, because he's given us promises that everything that we need for life and godliness is at our disposal. Mark Hamby, today's guest here on First Person. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Mark through today's interview. And if you would like to learn more about Lamplighter and the many facets of what they offer, including audio recordings and great books, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com, where you'll find links to Lamplighter. And as we said, another part of Mark's ministry is the Lamplighter Guild, and that conference is coming up at a beautiful center in the mountains of New York State. It's the second annual Lamplighter Guild for Creative Disciplines. And you'll find a link for more information about it also at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, I hope we'll hear from you this week on our Facebook page. We're found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. And you can interact with us about what you hear in the program there. Facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. When you join us next week, you'll hear the story of Brad Mattis, who is now CEO of the Life Issues Institute, an educational arm of the pro-life movement. We'll hear Brad's story next week here on First Person. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person.